Get your Bibles. Man, we have a bunch of verses this morning we're going to cover and go through. We are uh, beginning a series, so it's kind of a, a, a shoot off a little bit from where we've been in our signs, seasons, and the second coming. But we're going we're gonna to theme on Christmas here for the next few weeks. Oh, I don't know. I just on a whim decided we should talk about Christmas. Well, it is Christmas time. It is time that we remember that first coming of Christ because everything that is connected to that first coming of Christ concerning our redemption must be solid within our hearts. It is the foundation of our faith. It is the foundation of our assurance of eternal life. And so we're going to focus for the next three or four weeks through, through uh, December on... Uh, some of the prophecies that were spoken, both Old Testament and then by the angels and all, concerning the, the coming of Christ. And, and I've titled this series, um, It Was Said, because we're going to look at the, what was prophesied, then we're going to look at how it was fulfilled, and then we're going to look at how it's going to be completed at the second coming of Christ. I really truly believe that the first coming of Christ, as we reflect back, the sole purpose in reflecting back to the first coming is to refresh and remind and renew ourselves with the understanding he's coming again. Because you see, the, the first coming has happened. And from the cross, he declared, it is finished. He completed the work of redemption. Now it is brought into our existence every moment of every day of our lives right now in preparation for his return. So the last few years when I've reflected back on the Christmas events, the events of the first Christmas, or if you will, the, the nativity, the coming of Christ the first time, I can't help but think of that second coming. And prophecy is so, so important in the scriptures. From uh, the prophecies are probably to me the, the most solid evidence that Jesus was exactly who he said he was, the Son of God, the Messiah. Because you see, to, to come as he did, to be born where he was born, to, to do what he did and have it told seven and eight hundred years and five hundred years earlier by the prophets, that is the testimony, that is the witness. You go back and you say, okay, well, where did they say he would be born? Boom. Where do they tell us he was born? What did they say he would do? Boom. This is what he did. And so it is the solid evidence of who Jesus is as the Son of God and as our Redeemer. So we're going to look at those for a moment, and we're going to, we're going to kind of see what, uh, what the prophets said and then how the, the first coming of Jesus became the fulfillment of that. But you realize that they, they estimate some 300-plus prophecies, Old Testament prophecies, were fulfilled at the first coming of Christ. Now, there's still prophecies yet to be fulfilled. You look and you say, well, why aren't those? Well, because those have to do with the second coming. Many of those have to do with Israel and the second coming, and many of them have to do with the church of Jesus Christ and the second coming. So those aren't fulfilled yet. But here's my premise for this entire series. If he did it once and he fulfilled the prophecies about the first coming, I have absolute assurance he's going to fulfill the remaining prophecies. That is my hope in realizing he's already done it once. He's going to finish it out. Do you believe that this morning? 
Oh, we're going we're gonna to look at those prophecies and uh, some of those things that were said about Jesus. Now, I want, to, uh, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 1. That's going to be our, our main text. But I do have uh, several places we're going to be reading from this morning. And one of those begins right here in Revelation. You don't have to turn there, but uh, go to Matthew, tw- uh, Matthew 1 and be ready there. But in, in Revelation, the beginning of the revelation of John concerning Christ... Uh, verse 3, the, the, the angel of the Lord says to John, he says, Blessed is the one who reads these prophecies out loud and believes them. So I want to be blessed. I don't know about you. Anybody in the house open for a blessing this morning? Okay. So we're going to read a statement out of Revelation chapter 1 together this morning concerning Christ and concerning his second coming. So it begins in verse number seven. Revelation chapter one, verse seven says this. Let's read it out loud together. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierce him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. Now, verse 8, read this one loud. I could hardly barely hear you. I started to start over, but I was too far in. Read this one super passionate for me, with me. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is, who was, and is to come, the Almighty. Amen? Now, I wanted us to read that out loud for the blessing, but I wanted us to read that because that's going to be the pattern we follow in this series. So the series is titled, It Was Said, and So It Was. But each week, starting today, we're going to look at what was said, what it was when it was fulfilled, what it is now, and what it will be. Jesus says, I was, I am, and I will be. So we're going we're gonna to follow that, that pattern this morning, okay? So uh, if you have our app, I think the notes are there uh, on the app for you this morning. So we're going to follow this vein. It was said, and so it was, so it is, and so it will be. So Matthew chapter 1, let's start today with, it was said, God is with us. And so we go to Matthew chapter 1. The nativity of the Christ, beginning in verse number 18, it says this. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David... Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. How often do we, do we feel like things are, are, are crazy and, and wrong and, and out of kilter, and, and the whole time we may find that the Holy Spirit is working behind all of that. We look at COVID and we think, how crazy is all this? But I guarantee you, I've told you this from the first Sunday we came back on campus after quarantine. God is up to something. God is working some things behind the scenes. So Joseph needed to know that. Verse 21. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him, say it with me, Jesus. 
because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. That prophet was Isaiah. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him, say it with me, Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. It was said, God would be with us, and so it was. When Joseph woke up, he did as the, Lord, as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him, say it with me, Jesus. The virgin will be with child and will have a son, and you will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So it was said, God would be with us. That's the title of this morning's uh, teaching for us. So three, three things. It was said, so it was, so it is, and so it will be. So your first truth this morning, understanding this Emmanuel, God with us, is this. It was said, and so it was, that Jesus was God in flesh. Now, I make one regret about that slide and that point title right there. And I should have changed it, but I forgot to change it. It should say, Jesus is God in flesh. I went all past tense on us and, and going back to the, to the original, to the nativity. But the reality is Jesus will always be God in flesh. He lives and presides in the heavenlies right now at the right hand of the Father in a glorified body. He will return to the earth in a glorified body. He is seen by John in the book of Revelation as a lamb who was slain, but he, he's, a, he's in bodily, glorified bodily form. When he returns on the, on the horse and the name written on his legs uh, of his robe, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, he's in a glorified body. So the reality is, bad on pastor, but I'm making it up for you right now. Jesus is God in flesh. It was said, and so it was, and so it is. So we're talking here about a fancy word called the incarnation. Incarnation, incarnate means to be in flesh. So one of my favorite meals when I go eat at a uh, uh, Mexican food restaurant, which is my favorite kind of food, it was until I started checking blood sugar levels, and it's really kind of out there now. But I love carne asada. So I looked up one time, what is carne asada? Well, asada is the way they cook the steak and the sauce they use on it, if I understand it right. Carne means it's steak. It's meat. It's flesh. So there's this doctrine of the incarnation. God coming to earth in flesh. And that's incre it's incredibly important to us, church, to know and to understand that Jesus is God in the flesh. Now, this doctrine of incarnation teaches that Jesus was fully God at the same time he was fully man. That does not make sense to us. But we have to know and we have to believe that wrapped up in that body was God. Now, let me give you some, some scripture reference. John chapter 1. Verses 1 through 3 and then verse 14 say this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, watch this, with God, and the Word was God. 
He was with God in the beginning. Notice verse 3. Who created the heavens and the earth? God. In the beginning, God. Notice this verse 3. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Who? The Word. Who is the Word? Well, verse 14 tells us the Word became flesh and he dwelt among us. It's Jesus. The Word is Jesus. Does it say that the heavens were created by him? It says they were created through him. He is a part of the triune Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. One God, three manifestations of his work in redeeming mankind and Jesus himself, the Redeemer. Titus chapter 2, verse 13, I want, to see the, I want you to see this because it's in the context of the second coming of Christ. Titus 2, verse 13 says, waiting for our blessed hope, that is the rapture of the church, the appearing of the glory of our great God. Notice this, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is God. He said to, the, to those in his day when he was walking the face of the earth, he said, when you've seen me, you've, you've seen the Father. He was fully God, fully man. How does that happen? Well, God is eternal, right? The Word of God tells us God is everlasting. He is Alpha. He is Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is forever, eternal. And there's a couple things God can't do. Now, before you stone me for heresy, hear me out. Two things Scripture say. Because He's eternal, God cannot die. And the scripture says that God cannot be tempted like man is tempted. Now, for the plan of redemption to happen, someone's going to have to die so someone else can live forever with the Father. Somebody's going to have to give their life. You and I don't qualify because, you see, we're born under the curse of sin. We are... We're, we're just like each other. We can't save each other. So God put on a human body, came to this earth, so that he could experience the life as we live it. We are told in Hebrews, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Because he was without sin, he became the perfect sacrifice for us. And you understand the importance of the virgin birth. You don't have redemption. You do not have forgiveness of your sins. You do not have new life in Christ. And you do not have eternal life with him forever if there is no virgin birth. The reason for the virgin birth was that God had to pass the seed line of man one time. Because that's where the curse of sin is passed, through the seed of man. But he needed a human womb to be born in flesh. So you have the virgin birth of Christ. Don't let anyone ever tell you that it's not necessary. Don't let anyone ever tell you it's, it didn't happen. What did the angel tell Mary when she says, okay, how? Nothing is impossible for God. So always, that's foundational to our Christian faith. 
So Jesus, so God puts on a human body. Jesus is now able to be tempted, experience life as we experience it. He is able to demonstrate that he is sinless and he is able to be the perfect sacrifice. He is able to die for our sins. So what we have in the nativity, in the first coming of Christ, is we have God breaking through the heavens and the clouds and coming down and putting his feet on this earth. I think the message paraphrase says John 1, 14, kind of along this line, something about he took up residence in our neighborhood. Oh, yeah. Jesus moved into the neighborhood. You ever heard the phrase, there goes the neighborhood? Property value on people just went up. The value of souls just went up because Jesus moved into our neighborhood. He was God in flesh. It was said, and so it was, Jesus is God in flesh. But then secondly, it was said, and so it is, that Jesus is still with us now. He is still God with us. That's the power of the resurrection for you, Christian. The foundational truth of your Christian faith is that our Messiah, Jesus, rose from the dead. As the angel said, oh, he's no longer here. He has risen. That grave is empty. And whichever one of four or five they take you to to visit in Israel, different tour guides take you different places. I don't know which one for sure it is, but I guarantee you the one that they're going to take you to is empty because Jesus has risen. And because he is risen, he is with us now. Let me show you some scripture here. John chapter 14. Jesus is talking to his disciples as he is letting them know, guys, uh, my time is short. I'm going to be uh, crucified and, and I'm going I'm to go away. And they're bummed, obviously. They've given their life now for the last three years to follow him. They gave up their livelihoods. They left their families. But he says this. To encourage them. In verse number 15 of John 14, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you, notice this, another counselor. Not the counselor or a counselor. He says, I will give you another. That means there's already been one. Right? To have another means one already exists. Watch this. He will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. Now notice this. We're talking about the Holy Spirit now. The Holy Spirit is person. It's person. Notice he says he will be the spirit, not it. Now, if you've ever referred to the Holy Spirit as it, you're not going to die and go to hell. But you've got to get into your understanding and into your soul as you worship the Lord. The Holy Spirit is the person of Jesus in you. Scriptures say, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. He has the ability to experience emotion. Have the mind of the Spirit. He has the ability to think and reason. His is holy and His is righteous and true from the Father. But He is person. He is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. You know why there's such conflict between righteousness and unrighteousness, godliness and ungodliness, holiness and unholiness in our culture? Why you might get frustrated that people don't see what you see 
how could they this or why would they that if they knew this? Well, they don't know this. If they don't have the Holy Spirit, they don't understand the things of the Spirit. So don't get frustrated with your loved ones who are away from the Lord. Have compassion for them and continue to pray for them that the things of the Spirit will be brought to their understanding as they are born of the Spirit. The world is unable to receive Him because it doesn't see Him or know Him, but you know Him, watch this, because He remains with you and will be in you. Pause, catch it. Jesus says, you know this counselor because he is with you. Hello. Jesus is saying, you know him because it's me. It's me. And I am with you. But then notice what Jesus says. And he will be where? In you. Let me just do a Holy Ghost turnaround right there. Okay, that's about as, that's about as best I can do because I'll fall off this platform and embarrass myself. The Holy Spirit is the very Spirit of Jesus Christ. And He lives in those who were born of the Spirit. So when Jesus says another counselor, that word in Greek is the word parakletos. It means one just like who comes alongside for counsel, for instruction, for direction, and for help. So Jesus is saying, what I've been doing, the Holy Spirit's going to do in you. Because he's going to be with you. And it's going to be like I'm not even gone because I'm right there. Now I know there is a glorious day coming when we will see Jesus and we will take our crowns that have been awarded to us and we will lay them at his feet and we will bow in absolute humility and honor and reverence to the Lamb of God. And we will see him. Face to face. And when he uses the word parakletos, he's saying it will be as though I'm not even gone. So then later, in John, when he tells them that they will do greater things than what have been done, it will be because those men are filled with the Spirit of Christ Jesus. And then there would be 120, and then there would be 3,000, and then greater things than these. Not qualitative, but the quantity. Life on this earth is lived as though Jesus is still with us because he has filled his church with his spirit. So it was said that God would be with us. So it was and, and so it still is. So this morning, let me just let me just ask you, because we're on this we're on this uh, this journey asking the Lord for revival. Doing what we can to make ourselves ready for a great awakening and, and for our nation to experience a great awakening. One of the things missing when God sees fit to finally bring a revival is a, is a fear of the Lord. One of the first things that happens when a great awakening of God begins to move across a people and a nation is there becomes this awareness of the fear of God. Along with Isaiah, people begin to say, woe is me. 
how could I have been so far when I thought I was so right? This fear of the Lord. So let me just ask you, Jesus is still God in flesh. Jesus is God in spirit. He is spirit. And he has given you his spirit in fullness. So everywhere you go, Jesus goes. Where you are, Jesus is. In the midst of the craziness known as super sinners, and all the toilet paper being gone, Jesus is with you. In fact, little side note, thank you to whoever at Sam's last week tried to stash a case of toilet paper four rows over in a whole other department. I found it. There was absolutely no toilet paper or paper towels. I found one case of toilet paper. It's not my favorite kind of toilet paper, but it works. And the Lord hath provided. I don't know if you were planning on coming back for it, but it's gone now. So, But wherever you are in the midst of life, in the midst of the day-to-day, Jesus is with you. We often forget it and we lose sight and so we become anxious and we become overwhelmed. And, and the reality is Jesus is with you. It's, it, it's going to be natural that we become overwhelmed. Peter was walking on the water and man, he's doing it. He is doing the walk. And then he becomes overwhelmed with the waves. But Jesus is with him. Jesus is with you. So let me ask you, everywhere you go, Jesus is there. So I'm just going to ask you what I think he told me to ask you. Is he cool going where you go? Did I just say that out loud? Is he cool going where you go? Is he cool doing what you want to do? Is he into that? You better find out because <laughs> he's going with you. And if he, if he ain't into it, you probably don't need to take him there. Right? The awareness that he is with us should elevate the fear of the Lord in our understanding. So you say, how do I receive the Holy Spirit so that, so that Jesus is with me? Ephesians 1, verse 13 and 14, kind of lays it out for us right here. Paul says, in him, Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, which he says is the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed it, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. How did you receive the Holy Spirit? You believed the gospel. And what is the gospel? That Jesus is the Son of God and that he died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. That he was buried and that he rose from the dead and that he lives today. You can have forgiveness of your sins. Paul says if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Jesus said to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. How did he say be born again? Be born of the Spirit. When you confess to the Lord that you acknowledge you're a sinner and you can't save yourself, but you believe in the depths of your heart, Jesus died to save you from those sins. And you invite him into your heart to be Lord. To be Lord. Not a part of, but master. He breathes life into you. The life of his spirit. 
What brought Adam to life when he lay as a clump of dust in the garden? God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. How does a dead sinner receive life eternal today? Jesus breathes the life of his spirit into those who believe. So it was, so it is, and then the third truth this morning, so it will be, Jesus will be with us forever. And yes, I am aware of the typo. Jesus will be with us forever. You see, I told you earlier, the remaining prophecies yet to be fulfilled have to do with the second coming of Christ. That event still yet to take place. In John chapter 14, we read it a while ago concerning the Holy Spirit. Let me, let me share this with you from verse 1, 2, and 3. Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. Now notice verse 3. Let's read it together. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you also may be. Jesus himself says, I am coming again. I am coming for you. We live this life consumed with everything around us. And we often forget that everything happening now is in preparation for what is to come. We talk about the return here for just a moment this morning. Let me, let me kind of break this down. This, this is a, several of these truths could become whole messages and series within themselves. But let me just help us understand for a moment when Christ comes. The coming of Christ next is, is twofold. There's two, two parts to his actual appearing. The first is called the rapture. The second is called more the second coming. In the rapture, Jesus does not literally touch his feet to the earth and stay here. He comes in the clouds. And believers who are dead in Christ and buried but died believers and those who are living, following Christ faithfully, will be caught up to be with him. Second coming, Jesus literally puts his feet on the earth, takes up a throne in the city of Jerusalem and rules the nations of the earth for a thousand years before a new heaven and a new earth are created. Way too far down the road that way. <laughs> Let's stick to the second coming, and that is the rapture and the second coming. So let me give you a couple of verses here. First Thessalonians 4.16 talks about the rapture. You will not see the word rapture in these verses. You will see the concept, the idea, the understanding of a rapture. The word rapture simply means to be taken away. So here it is, 1 Thessalonians. Paul says this, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now think about the nativity that we, we were so heartwarmed by at Christmas. That was a pretty quiet moment, wasn't it? In fact, we have a beautiful song. Silent. 
It's a little noisy from here. With a shout. With the archangel's voice and with the trumpet call of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up or raptured together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air so that we will always be with the Lord. Verse 18. Paul says, so go ahead. Encourage each other with these words. Let me encourage you this morning, saint. Born of the Spirit of Christ. You're either going to be taken from the grave and raised with Him in a glorified body, or you're going to be raptured. Now, here's the deal with the rapture. That moment is so... So, I don't know how to say this. Amazing? Yeah, but that's not where I'm headed. Um, well, uh, there's no other way. It, it is so unknown, although we know, but we do not know the moment, and we don't get a week's notice. It is in the twinkling of an eye. Anybody blink since you've been in here this morning? Some of you are afraid to because you're afraid you'll fall asleep in church, but in the twinkling of an eye, the archangel's voice, the shout and the trumpet, and boom, the dead in Christ rise and those who are left are caught up. It is an instantaneous moment that no one knows the hour or the time. It is imperative for preparation. It is everything that the parable of the ten virgins speaks to us. That five virgins were ready when the bridegroom came. Five were not. And the bridegroom says, or the, the, the five who are unprepared say, hey, to the five, hey, our, our lamps have run out of oil. Give us some of your oil. And they say, no, we don't have enough. You're going to have to go buy oil. They weren't ready. When the bridegroom came unannounced, the ones who went into the banquet and the celebration with the bridegroom in that parable were those who were prepared. It happens in a twinkling of an eye. So the rapture is separate from the moment when Christ returns. So, so the rapture happens, at which point when you have millions of people evacuated from the face of the planet... And multitudes of graves opened up because the dead in Christ have risen. Things are crazy. You think COVID-19 and quarantine in 2020 has been crazy? This is nothing. Because what will now happen for the next seven years will be complete chaos. It will set the stage for the Antichrist to come to power because somebody's got to figure out how to get these freeways open back up, how to get these airports open back up, how to get the economies going again. And so it's the perfect stage set for somebody with a great plan, very charismatic, and able to communicate and convince people they have a great plan to then establish a one-world government, a one-world economy, and a one-world religion. Because he's a man of peace, the scripture says, so, so it appears. And those are the three things nations fight over. 
money, borders, and religion. So he says, I've got a solution. You just become one in all. That's what happens. During the tribulation, God will work with the nation of Israel, and the nations will come against Israel. And it is in that place and in that time that the nation of Israel will begin to call out to the Lord and acknowledge Jesus as Messiah. And then will come the great battle of Armageddon. But let me read you Revelation chapter 19. This is the second coming. This is the second coming at the close of the seven years. Revelation beginning 19, verse, beginning of verse 7 says, Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse. Its rider was called Faithful and True, and he judges and makes war with justice. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except him. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh. We're talking about Jesus. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth. Do you realize that when Jesus comes to free Israel from the nations that have come against him, he comes to destroy the armies of those nations? He doesn't fight. He speaks. And he annihilates the armies of man who have come against the purposes and the people of God. With a sharp sword from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it, he will rule them with an iron rod. He will set up what is known as the judgment of the nations. Nations will be judged according to what their response to the people of Israel has been. What did God tell Abraham before Israel was even a nation? Those who bless you will be blessed. Those who curse you will be cursed. And his name, written on his robe and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the second coming. You and I, faithful in following and obedient to Jesus, we are raptured or caught up to be with him. Tribulation. Many things happening there, too, that's a whole other series. Then the second coming of Christ. My friends, the bottom line boils down for us this morning is this. We are going to have the opportunity. We are given the opportunity and privilege to be with Jesus forever. So we're talking in our series up to this point, signs, seasons, and the second coming. What season are we in right now on this earth? We're in the season awaiting the rapture. A whole other series, and I've taught it before, has to do with the feasts of Israel, the seven major feasts. Israel and God were into celebrations. And there were seven feasts that Israel was meant to celebrate in honor of God. And they didn't know it at the time, but every one of those feasts were pointing to the purposes of God yet to come. The Feast of Passover. 
representing when they came out of Egypt and the death angel passed over and preserved the people of Israel who had blood applied to the doorposts of their home. Passover was fulfilled at the crucifixion of Christ whose blood was shed and ran down the posts of that cross and dripped to the ground. The next feast is a part of Passover. It's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It was fulfilled in the burial of Jesus Christ, wrapped up. And if, you, if you've ever been a part of a Passover Seder, we've had some here before. They wrapped bread in, in, a, in a linen cloth, and Jesus was buried. That was fulfilling that Feast of Unleavened Bread. Then there is the Feast of First Fruits, where they would take and the priest would go and, and take one of the first sprouts of grain that were coming up in the field for the harvest season at the very beginning and would take one of those and wave it before the Lord as a thank offering for a good harvest to come. It's called the first fruits. Jesus rose from the dead on the day of first fruits. And what does the scripture tell us? Paul says that he is the firstborn living from among the dead meaning there will be many more rise from the dead now that Christ himself has risen. And then there was the Feast of Harvest that would follow. Fifty days later, they would go out and they would begin to harvest the fields and they would bring those offerings to the Lord. Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, happened on the day of the celebration of harvest. And you know what Pentecost is? Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is the harvest time. That's the season we live in. It is time to bring people into the kingdom of God because the next feast that follows for Israel is called the Feast of Trumpets. It's awaiting to be fulfilled. And what did we just read from Thessalonians that Paul said? With the trumpet call of God. What's the next feast to be fulfilled in God's time plan? The taking away of the church to be with him at the trumpet call. And when does the rapture happen? Don't know. But it's in the twinkling of an eye. What season are we in? We're in the harvest season. What is anticipated to come? The rapture. When? Anytime. Anytime. So it speaks to us, church, in the words of that famous TV preacher, T.D. Jakes. Get ready, get ready, get ready. That's the best I can do. It's time to be ready. It's time to be watchful. It's time to keep the oil burning in our lamps. That's why we close our services right now as we're asking God for revival. We, we need to tarry. We need to tarry. We need to get still before. So we close our services with worship and, and just waiting before the Lord. And it's those times that we are filling ourselves with the oil, the anointing of the Spirit of Christ Jesus. And so how does, when the rapture happens, you say, man, I want to make sure I go. How, how will Jesus know that I'm one? Well, remember we read from Ephesians, it says, because you believe the gospel, you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. The best way I can imagine it, though this is probably not even close, but this is my finite mind, is like this super magnet. You ever take a magnet and have paper clips laying on your desk and you just wave it over and all of a sudden, you know what's going to capture you and 
resurrect you out of this life into eternity with Jesus in that rapture? The Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ living in you. How will he know which one I am? How will he know I'm one? Because of his Spirit. He won't be thumbing through trying to find you. You're caught up to be with him because of his Spirit that has sealed you. So it was said God would be with us. So it is Jesus is with us now. And so it will be. We will be with Jesus forever. I'm going to close with this right here. What do we do? What do we do? I've explained the gospel to you. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, or you're not sure if you know you're saved, you need to come to the Lord this morning. And with an open heart, you need to just cry out and say, Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. You died on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. Please forgive me of my sin. And come into my heart. I, I open my heart. I open my life for you to come in and be Lord. I repent of my sin and I... I turn to you, Jesus. For those of us then that are are born again and and the Spirit of Christ Jesus lives in us, Paul gives us some some word in Colossians chapter 3 when he says this. So if you have been raised with Christ, which you have been raised to new life now in Christ, seek things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him. What is Paul's instruction that I think is so fitting for where we find ourselves today and all of the craziness around us? Set your mind on things above. Not on the earthly things. We're so wrapped up in in what's going on. We're so wrapped up in who is legitimately the winner of this election. We're so wrapped up on is it mask or is it not mask? Is it this or is it that? And we're so overwhelmed with that that our that our emotions are becoming overwhelmed. Our our minds are becoming confused. And Paul says, look. Set your mind on things above. And what does that look like? God is with us. He is with us. What does it look like to set your mind on things above? I'm closing with this. Okay, that's my second closing. I get one more. Typically, typically preachers get three. My father-in-law, Alicia's dad, Believed, believed in his heart, believed with every ounce of fiber in his little thin, frail body that the rapture could happen in the next breath. And he lived like that. He talked about heaven more than anybody I have ever met in my life. He talked about the glorious coming of Jesus. We could just be sitting around watching TV and he had just totally oblivious to anybody in the room and say, Jesus, come now. I don't know what we were watching. Maybe we weren't supposed to be watching Cujo or something. I don't know. 
That's an inside joke for me, Shinner sisters, if you're watching. But he believed it could happen anymore. You know, to the extent that he believed this, I never noticed this till Leisha told it to me a few years ago. He would never leave the house without making sure the dog's water bowl was filled in case the rapture happened while he and Alma were gone. Because he believed the rapture could happen at any moment. We got to live like Jesus is with us now. And we got to live like Jesus is coming. Means we got to be ready. Means we make ourselves ready.